Cheers. Are we still recording? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it will. I'm, You've got to have a slurp sound. Though. Yeah, and there might be stuff. There might be stuff at the beginning. I do a little kind of like outtakey bit. Montage. Start. Yeah. yeah. When there is one. That's why I, I didn't really need to ask that. I knew you'd be recording. Ah. Not yeah. at all. Why are you mean? <laughs> Get out. I demand all my Jeffrey <laughs> fans as well. Rob Cutforth, and this is the end of all things. I am coming to you today from this kind of sneaky secret little park I've discovered behind the University of Salford. Um, it's called Peel Park, which I don't really like because it reminds me of Peel Holdings, who are the biggest bastards in this city. Um, I hope it has nothing to do with them and has something to do with another more righteous person with that surname, Peel. It rings a bell as well. Is it some guy? Is it the guy that did taxes in this country as well? Was that some kind of... Am I making that up? I don't know. It seems like I did some kind of tour of Edinburgh and the tax guy was called Peel. And what, what, who cares? It doesn't matter. The park is nice. Um, I, half of me doesn't want to even tell you about it because it's the best part about it is that you're not here that it's just me, which is quite good, which is my favorite thing about parks. That that seemed to mean. Why did I say that? It has nothing to do with you. I'm sure you're a lovely person. It's just it's quite nice because I'm, I've got a very huge corner of this park all to myself, which, well, it, I mean, it's nice if I was going to just hang out, but, you know, trying to find something to talk about my surroundings, I guess I suppose I'm struggling a bit. There's a sculpture I can see that it's kind of like this metal pyramid type of thing and it looks like they've had to add something so people didn't climb it so it looks like the sculpture just wrapped in a barrier which seems ridiculous but um yeah what to talk about eh if only something has been going on in the news that i could riff off of it's just there's just nothing really happens has happened in the last you know month or so. Everything's been pretty boring. Uh, well, yeah, except for the EU referendum, which was a massive bastard. Uh, I Just when I start to think I can figure you people out, you Brits, you go and do something really fucking stupid, and then I, it puts me back a few years, and I go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You forget that they're British. They're absolutely insane. Um, you know, the end of the world, I do take the piss a bit and say, oh, you know, the name of the podcast. And it seems really cool to talk about, you know, until it starts actually fucking happening. Um, that's not so much fun. What is it? I, am I making this number up? I just, just want to say $350 billion has been taken off the... Has, we've lost just because of fucking old people voting to uh, leave because some dude in their corner shop is named Abdul instead of Barry. That's literally what's happened, hasn't it? Um, You know, like whatever it is. I've read differing uh, numbers about how much money this country's lost virtually overnight. But um, I tell you one thing. That money could have paid for quite a few years of EU 
referent of uh, membership to the EU. Um, I fucking hate baby boomers so much. What the fuck is wrong with you people? You took everything, and you give nothing back. Oh yeah, yes, yeah, free education. We'll have that. Oh, we don't want to pay for our kids and grandkids to have that. No, fuck them. Oh yes, yes. Oh, we've taken all the benefits of the EU. Done all the traveling. Freedom of movement, fantastic. Should our kids and grandkids have it? No, fuck them. Why should they get it? You know, it's not like uh, they matter at all. Um, I just want to fucking punch your stupid xenophobic granny right in the head. Your granny. You know she voted Brexit. I get on the bus and I see old people on it and I just think, you, you did this to us. You know, you used to think, oh, there's these lovely, you know, people who... I used to... I wasn't sure I was going to rant about this. But what the fuck? It's... I'm so pissed off. I just can't believe it happened. Um, the only reason your geriatric ass is alive is because of a strong NHS that's staffed by EU migrants. You fucking idiot. Look around you. And it's the thing that really pisses me off about this whole Brexit thing is that the ones that are so pissed off about immigrants supposedly taking over their NHS and the schools and the, they're losing places to this, that, and the other thing due to so-called EU migrants are the ones that have the fewest number of migrants in their fucking towns. The big cities, London... And do you know what? Another thing that's pissed me off about this whole thing is London having the nerve to say... Oh, we, let's have our own city-state. Um, other cities voted Remain, you fucks. Manchester and Liverpool are two of them. Um, you know, it's funny. I live in Trafford, and I take the piss out of Urmston. I've done it a couple times on the podcast because it's little England as fuck. And even we voted to Remain, like, massively. So how, who are the, what are these people in Sunderland like? What the fuck? Like... It's like having a sore throat and shooting yourself in the head. Is it? <laughs> I might be a bit extreme. Oh, man. Um, do you know what? The other thing that really pisses me off about these old fucks that voted Brexit is that, you know what? On Monday, they'll be down to their GPs to pick up their weekly handful of pills from the Polish nurse that's there. And they'll give them a lovely little smile. Oh, hi. Aren't you lovely? Isn't, uh, isn't everything going great? No, it fucking isn't. Just because you haven't got a job, you stupid old cunt. Um, sorry. Do you know, I did... There were, there were rules on this podcast that I had given myself. One... I've been, I've broken all of them, except for the one, the C word. I wasn't going to say it, but fuck this. You know, after you've basically a large number of the... English population. We just fucking got out of recession. What is the matter with you? Let's go back into it. Yeah, don't... I, I, I swear, British people have this... The. I was going to say the shortest memories ever, but it, unless it has to do with World War II. That one, you remember, you'll never forget that. Or even the first one. Remember the war? You fucking stupid old bastards how can you not forget the recession that happened oh that's right because you were retired then as well and it didn't affect you um <clears throat> my uh, twitter feed is really annoying 
uh, I, the, in, for two reasons. One, while this was all happening, all of, we were all saying that we're going to vote Remain. What happened? Twitter clearly has no bearing on anything. And um, the other thing that's driving me crazy about it is afterwards, all these tweets from people who I respect saying, oh, we can't blame them. You know, we have to move past. No, we don't fucking have to. Yes, we can blame them. It's the simplest decision that I've ever seen. All the experts on one side, all the kooks on the other. You voted kook. You're a fucking idiot. And uh, now I'm going to be paying for it. I mean, you're going to be paying for it too, you fucking dumbass. And all these videos on BBC of uh, Brexiters, like young Brexiters, remorseful. Hey, why why are you uh, sad about voting Brexit? Everyone told you this would happen. Everyone, all the experts, every single economic body and publication said the economy would go in the shitter. All of them. And uh, you voted exit anyway because, you know, the guy from Tate and Lyle, Sugar, thought it'd be a good idea. Or fucking Weatherspoons. Yeah, real economy. Economical, economical, that's not the right word. Real heavyweights of the, what is the word I'm looking for? <laughs> uh, it's really hard t- talking about how stupid other people are when you can't actually think of a word to describe them. You know, you know what mo- the most annoying thing is about this whole bloody thing? Is that I couldn't, t- it couldn't be a nicer day. Like, it's absolutely glorious. You could probably hear the wind on the microphone. I'm outdoors again. People are saying the intros sound too scripted when you sit indoors, weirdly. Um, it's no more scripted now than it ever has been, which is, you know, slightly scripted. Uh, but it's a beautiful, sunny, warm day, and I'm miserable. We only get, like, six of these days a year, and you've ruined this one, you geriatric sons of bitches. We've just come out of recession. What is the matter with you? Now we're going back in. Well done, Sunderland. Sunderland and old people. I tell you what, if you're an old person from Sunderland, double fuck you. What the hell are you thinking? If you look at all the results, Manchester, there's like three places. What is it? Manchester, Trafford. Is it Salford, the other one? I don't know. There's a tiny little island surrounded by dickheads. And it's the people who have the fewest number of migrants around them and the, f- the ones that take the most money from Europe who voted to exit. I don't know. Anyway, I suppose I should talk about the guests I'm actually interviewing this time. Uh, I don't even care if you stop listening to this thing because of something I've just said. I'm so pissed off, I just can't fucking speak. Oh, let's have a, an online petition to get another referendum. Yeah, that's going to fucking happen. Too late, dickheads. You should have voted the first time. And the people like Glastonbury. Do <laughs> you know what? I thought, I knew Glastonbury, people going to Glastonbury would be a problem because those people that are there, they would all vote remain. You better have done a postal vote before you've gone. Although I doubt very much that many of you did and you probably went to Glastonbury. Like, oh, who cares? It's going to be fine. Well, welcome back to reality, motherfuckers. Um, I thought because the Euros are on, it would be a, you know, an even split. All the, you know, leave bellends, they'd be over in, ironically, Europe, uh, watching their stupid football teams play. And that would kind of balance out the Glasgow lefties, my people. Uh, but no, 
they still won. So Glastonbury, way to go, dickheads. Way to go. I blame you as well. Glastonbury, where the fuck were you? Oh, I was watching ZZ Top. Fucking ZZ Top. And Adele, it was even it was even a shitty Glastonbury year. Why the fuck didn't you stay home and vote? I shouldn't say that because I actually I know there'll be lots of people listening to this. You probably did post a vote. You're intelligent and young people. Oh yeah, guests. And I, I suppose I have to apologize to both of them now because uh, I've ruined their podcast by getting angry and doing saying stupid things. But um, Amy McCauley and Robert Harper are my guests today. And it's poets again. This has been a big poetry month, really. Uh, Amy McCauley is the poetry editor for the Welsh Review. And Robert Harper runs his own poetry magazine, magazine called Bear Fiction that you've probably heard of because virtually everyone I follow on Twitter also follows him. Um, he has... I'm not going to talk too much about their magazines because we do... Actually, no, we don't. I, I edited it out <laughs> because it's a long podcast and uh, Europe comes up in the podcast and I wanted to leave that stuff in. So I'll talk about their magazines now. Uh, the Welsh Review uh, is has been around for... Uh, I want to say hundreds of years. It probably has been. It's, it's, it, if it's not a hundred years, it's very close. Uh, they do mostly poetry, so short stories, and creative nonfiction. Uh, they commission, and they also allow for open submissions, and they pay. They actually pay real money, which is nice. Pay real money for a bit of poetry. Wow. Uh, it's not a lot of money. But it's more than zero, which is pretty good uh, as far as the writing world is concerned. Um, Bear Fiction, Robert Harper also does a, an award, and he publishes a, collections of poetry as well. And he's just published one that's very good called The Knowledge Weapon. And we talk, I, we talk a bit about it, but it's probably best if you just look it up. Like I say, I edited out uh, quite a lot of us talking about their work because we have quite an interesting discussion at the end about Europe. And it's so funny because you can hear us talking about it like it... And I think, it, myself especially, I do, in the podcast, I'm terrified because this, we recorded a day before the vote. Um, but it's, I don't think I really come through as terrified. I, I honestly, genuinely didn't think it was going to happen, this uh, Brexit vote. Um, I had more faith in the British public. Well, I shouldn't say British public, English public, and Welsh Fucking Wales, what are you doing voting exit, you idiots? You get more EU money than anybody. And the Cornish as well. Cornish, that, that fucking tweet by the, by the Cornish, Cornwall, some kind of like chamber of commerce or something saying, well, you know, you told us, Boris, that um, all the funding that we get from the EU will be replaced. So now this, this 60 million that we get every year, you're going to replace that, right? Yeah, good f fuck you, Cornwall. I hope you fall into the sea. Take your shitty pasties with you. Um, can someone explain to me, right, the appeal of Boris Johnson? I don't get it. I don't understand it. He looks like the love child of the lead singer of Spinal Tap and fucking Sloth from the Goonies. And he sounds like him as well. He just, look at the state of him. What? He hasn't, he hasn't got a brain in his head. And yet, he is considered to be this political 
genius, and he is going to be the next prime minister. This is the other thing about London. You know what? Fuck you, London. Yeah, sure, you voted to remain. You're the motherfuckers that gave this man a platform in the first place. You can't now go, oh, we want to create our own city-state. Fuck you. You can't do that now. Put, Release Boris on us and then abandon us. Who the f- Anyway. What was I talking about? You know, I, it's, I can understand you're British and English and you like an eccentric. Um, but there's loads of eccentrics who aren't also inherently evil, uh, power-hungry, tough bastards. Um, what about Ed Miliband? He's eccentric as fuck, you goggle-eyed freak. He's, uh, he couldn't be more eccentric. He's crazy. He can't, eat, he can't eat properly. He can't stand properly. He's goofy as hell. And yet, oh no, he's, we, we don't want to elect him into power. Well, you almost did, I suppose. But the guy has got, his politics are in the right place. He's a lovely guy, intelligent. But no, we don't like intelligent in England, do we? We like rhetoric. And we, yeah, Nigel Farage. I'm not even, I'm not even going to talk about him. Um, in this podcast, we talk about poetry again, as I mentioned. But um, we really kind of dig down into what poet, the differences between uh, performance poetry and poetry on the page uh, I say intelligently, they talk intelligently about it, and I just kind of nod and look pretty, as usual. Uh, they are, we also, there's a bit in it about talking about PhDs as well. I can't decide if I'm going to leave it in or not. It might not be in it. Uh, yeah, I think it's interesting. I find it really interesting uh, why anyone would go for a PhD, because it's a huge amount of work. But, apparently, you can get paid to get a PhD, in uh, and I, I know that everyone that's listening to this goes is, is saying in their heads, "Duh, Rob, I didn't know that." You actually fourteen grand—that's more than most novelists make. Fourteen grand a year, you can get to go for your PhD in poetry or, uh, well, I don't know, <laughs> poetry obviously because that's what we talk about. I'm sure there's other ones for whatever you write. Um, so yeah, they say that if you're going for it for the money, that's totally the wrong way to do it. But you know what? Why not? better than being broke well <laughs> I wonder how many of these uh, paid PhDs are going to hang around now that we are flat busted um, we do talk about Brexit in the podcast as if you haven't got enough of it in the intro we do talk I br- bring it up because I was I, 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 well because it was happening the day after Amy is uh, I think she's even more uh, Not the, I was going to say extreme but that's not the word uh, she is a big fan of revolution, which uh, makes me love her a little bit. Um, I like to say these big words like revolution, but I don't really mean it. I just want a comfortable life, uh, you know, and a safe life. I just want what the fucking baby boomers had, right? How the f- why can they have it and then fuck us over? Why are they even still relevant? They should if if people if kids over sixteen can't vote, people over sixty shouldn't be able to. You know what? Fuck that. Over fifty, tough luck. As soon as you stop working and stop uh, paying taxes, you shouldn't be able to vote. I mean it. I don't even, I'm not even joking. Sit in your fucking house and eat your egg and chips, you motherfuckers. And leave the business of the country to people who know what the fuck's going on. Um, I just hate your grandparents so much. Yeah, yours. You just know it. I'm, I'm talking directly to you who's listening. Your grandma 
voted us out, didn't she? It's your fault. Now what? How am I supposed to get my wine and cheese and, you know, everything that's good about living on this side of the Atlantic? I tell you what, if the food starts going back to the way it was, uh, if we actually have to eat English food, I am on the first plane back to Canada. Fuck that. I ain't eating no spotted dicks. I'll tell you that right now. Not a chance. Roast beef. Shove it up your ass. <laughs> uh, I, uh, anyway, how, many, how long have I been talking here? 23 minutes. This is like the longest intro I've ever done. I'm going to stop now. Uh, listen to Amy and Robert. They're more intelligent, coherent, lovely people than I am. Uh, there's going to be, I think there's loads of readings in this one. I, I really like Amy's and it's quite a long one. So that one's definitely staying in. And I might even put it at the start. So when I finish speaking now, it might go straight to her or I might just put her at the end. I'm not sure. But yeah, you get the idea. You know how this works by now. yourselves up to the light like this every 28 days. You will turn, mopping the sweat and blood from your bodies, turning, congealing in the heat of the sun. To congeal, to solidify or come to rest, as in lump and mass, as in matter, to change states, to coalesce, to be in one place, in one piece. Congeal, verb, to stiffen into a viscid, jelly-like consistency, to coagulate, clot or curdle as milk or blood. Where do you hide the passion of the body and its tides? Where do you stash the mucusy pore when it comes? Where do you put your blood which is the same as your fever? You think about what it means to live and know this to be a lifetime's work. You are softly ringing your bells. To be woman is to fear the embarrassment of one's riches. The red rose in its redness leaks no yellow. In other words, it develops the argument. Because you spill, you consider yourself to be unlovable. You feel it with the hard reality of a fact. So when the priest says body, you take body into your body. Wafer, time, body, life. There is a Greek word, isn't there always, floating above your head. It emits an indissoluble bloodlight and fizzes in the mist. The unbounded warmth of red has not the irresponsible appeal of yellow but rings inwardly with a determined and powerful intensity. It glows in itself maturely and does not distribute its vigour aimlessly. She unveils the ovaries tucked high in their tubes. Of what are we made? Is survival a story like this? Origin, umphalos, vagina. What are we but little voyagers sailing out on maxi pads which promise not to leak and betray us? Meanwhile, Christ's confusion booms. Why have you forsaken me? As a trickle of unreal blood crawls across skin. But in the pale, sexual agony, the oversized eyes, the fetish of innocence startled by death, you find an echo of Disney. Who is it, you suspect? And of what might they be guilty? You sense the existence of a brutal, despairing God, one who must continuously be appeased. You watch the airborne wafer, poised between hand and tongue, floating into your future. A bucket of blood appears. You dip your hands and feet. 
Now she holds the packed cotton wad aloft. Fear no more the heat of the sun. With this, she declares war on that which spills or is prone to spillage. With this water, with this fire, with this blood. You are, you are aware of your ripeness, which is not maturity, but a cusping between girl and woman. You are running after a bus, waving the flag of a country you don't belong to anymore. The varied powers of red are very striking. By a skillful use of it and its different shades, its fundamental tone may be made warm or cold. Of course, every colour can be to some extent varied between warm and cold, but no colour has so extensive a scale of varieties as red. Red never wears itself out. When you blush, you feel you are giving away a thing you ought really to keep hold of. But your blush is a public delight, because now they know you feel shame as well as guilt. Hereafter, you fix your face for its outings. This public face must carry its guilt in an overnight bag, while on the surface, you smile like a benign, generous flower. To be congealed is to exist as a state of aftermath, is being as residual matter. What is congealedness but a temporary container holding that which can't be contained? The congealed is the inside made visible, the inside wearing itself out. You crave this matter which can't be held or intuited, this matter which is you without the baggage, which is blood, cell, hunger, tissue. It insists on interiority, and yet... PhD. Mm-hmm. Has it, uh, it's been sent in, has it? Yeah, I handed it in on the 15th of June. That's very exciting. So Dates on the front. I'm indeed, yeah. Wow. So it's gone off to the, the two examiners, mm-hmm. um, and they will arrange between them a date uh, when we will have the, the oral examination, the viva. So. Yeah. Uh, does that mean they grill you? Yeah. Well, like, what kind of questions will you expect? Is it going to be... That's just a stupid question to ask. You probably have no idea what they're going to ask you. Um, it's going to be very specific to the... I mean, it, it, it'll be really... Um, possibly questions that nobody has asked up until this point mm. because um, they will really get into the nitty-gritty. That's their job, to kind yeah. of um, dig out the little holes and unpick the loose stitches and mm-hmm. um, not try and... Uh, pull you to bits, mm. no, but um, but to really push you, I suppose, mm. uh, to think in, in a, a much um, in a much more aggressive way, I suppose. You know, mm-hmm. it is supposed to be quite um, aggressive, mm. um, but in a healthy, yeah. in, interrogative way, I think. Yeah, harrowing, though. People say that it's harrowing. Mm. Yeah, and you're thinking of doing a PhD as well, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, so Amy's finishing hers, and I'm prepping myself to hopefully find somewhere that will accept my crazy idea. Why would you guys put yourselves through that sort of ordeal? PhD to me is terrifying, and the amount of work involved and the scrutiny, 
for something that you work so hard on that, you know, chances... Well, I guess for poetry, it's probably different for a PhD because people actually... You'll have something at the end that you can sell. Mm. Yeah, but we're not, you're not going to make money out of that. No, you, no one makes money out of but, poetry, uh, yeah. Well, you might make some, but not... Yeah. yeah. I guess it is not about trying to do it like that. I mean, one would expect if you're going to do a PhD in something, you know, do something in astrophysics that's going to blow the world and be like Stephen Hawking and make, you know, sell millions and millions of copies. But, you know, I don't know with... Amy's been and done it, but I'm Mm -hmm. like, you know, talking to people like Amy about what what they've done is, you know, it's really interesting that you find yourself not being put off regardless of just how much work and how much you do pull yourself in your practice yeah I imagine yeah I mean it's, yeah it's it's very much a project for obsessive people yeah. you know and people who I'm a very much I'm very much an all or nothing um kind of personality I suppose um mm. I mean initially I I really didn't have a thought of wanting to do a PhD for the sake of doing a PhD I um I was at a point where I needed some money to Mm. work on my book and one of the few funding options that I discovered was was actually to to do this PhD Mm. and so it's one way of buying three years Mm. um, to have support uh, on developing your writing and some space and time to write the book you want to write. See that's the sort of thing I love to hear Mm. because I'm a pragmatist massively and that's what this podcast is about, about making money. Um, how do you find those opportunities, like the paid PhDs, or what are they even called? Uh, is there well, a word for it? Um, well, it's just I don't know. I can't remember what the word is for it, to be honest. Because I see yeah. well, the Amy word for it. Well, there's various um, scholarship opportunities. Okay. So you would be looking for um, either a bursary or a scholarship, right. uh, yeah. and many universities run. Um, Scholarships whereby you teach part time mm-hmm. um, and uh, do your research and your studies alongside that, mm-hmm. um, and the teaching informs your research and the research right. informs your teaching and you're contributing to the university. So, if you're getting paid, though, do you have to do a PhD that they want you to do? Like, is there? No, sp- it's not. You can do whatever you like. Well, in my experience, I know other people in other universities. Um, are perhaps working to an agenda which that particular university has. So universities um, have certain boxes to tick, Mm -hmm. particularly um, well-performing universities. Um, (laughs) They both look at me. (laughs) Slightly slightly less well-performing universities. I think you've got a little bit more latitude Mm -hmm. um, to pursue your own. Yeah, I mean, it's always... as I'm discovering while I'm making inquiries to various places about where I might do mine, you know, they, you know, you've got to have something that the person you think might be a good uh, supervisor for you, primary supervisor, if you're going to have more than one, um, you know, you, you've got to persuade them that it's a good idea, and then they've, they've got to be interested in it. Right. So there is a part of uh, there is is an interview process before. I, I, yeah, honestly, yeah, I know yeah. nothing about yeah, absolutely. So you know, you've got to make tentative inquiries. People have got to be interested. Then you're going yeah. to discuss it, and then you put your proposal together. And mm-hmm. you know, I'm guessing different places and different potential universities will have a a more stringent or more relaxed way of approaching that process depending on if the funding is coming from in-house or if you're doing it through um, the MHRA, is that right? 
I don't can't remember. Isn't that, that the mortgage? B-A-H- oh, no, no, no. See, I don't B-A-H-R-C. know my acronyms. Yeah, the those are the ones. And then they have a consortium. Lots of places have consortiums of universities, like in the East Midlands, West Midlands, or. And in the North, Northwest, there's the Northwest Doctoral Training Partnership, yeah. which right. encompasses uh, Salford, MMU, Manchester. Um, Somewhere possibly else. Bolton I don't right. know right it doesn't matter uh, anyway you, yeah. if people are interested in this they can yeah. get it up online yeah. yeah yeah. so that's it and then you know I mean as you said as Amy was saying yeah it's a pragmatic approach for me as well because I've been an actor for a very long time mm-hmm. and I've sort of stepped out of it to do this MA that I'm doing now finishing mm-hmm. off in September and I stepped away from being able to earn much money it's not like I mean, it's a tricky business anyway. Being an actor, you know, it's trickier probably than being a writer. Although mm. you do occasionally make money. Yeah. Um, but but the the idea for me is, you know, I'm I'm in my mid forties now, and I think, well, I'm really enjoying this. And as Amy was saying, if you want to do a PhD, I think it's got to be a pragmatic and a a personal goal that you have for yourself to do something that you know mm-hmm. you've got to be driven. Yeah, and so everybody I've spoken to who started a PhD. They say, you know, you've just got to be belligerent, and get on, and want to do it. Yeah, if you don't want to do it in the first place, it's tough, and you probably fall fall by the wayside. Mm. And so you know, it's an idea that I've been thinking about for a long time, and mm-hmm. you're formulating the concepts of what you want to do, and yeah, and the prospect of sort of fourteen thousand pounds as a stipend, tax free, which isn't, you know, it's not a livable salary, but no. it's it's more than I'm well, in. Well, I've done it. Yeah. yeah. And, well, not only that, but it's a lot more than what a, a lot of writers yeah. will make. Yeah, yeah, I, mean, yeah. I mean, it's more than zero, isn't it? What does the it's Society of Authors say? It's like five or six thousand pounds a year is the average or something. Yeah. Yeah. Or less yeah. than ten. Or yeah. Less than 10 yeah. So, you know, you know, it's it's possibly, yeah, it is possibly a pragmatic, it might be, you know, it might be seen as a mercenary way of looking mm-hmm. at it, but... That's yeah, the way this I is, operate. This is, this, is, this is what yeah. I want to do, you want to do, you know, you don't yep. become a writer to sort of you know, you, you're going to go through the tough times, and you think, well, if there's a way to help me through three years of pretty damn tough times, mm-hmm. then I'm going to try for that. Yeah, and yeah, I, mean, I mean, fucking everybody's got to eat. Yeah, I mean, so I would also say Hundreds, though that sorry. if if the yeah. only <laughs> if the only reason you're enrolling on a PhD is is to earn that uh, stipend, mm. oh, that's ludicrous. Um, you're soon going to come a cropper, you know, yeah. and you're not going to stick with it. You'll be found out. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You'll find yourself out or somebody else will find you out. I think whichever happens You're first. probably best off temping, aren't you, if you just want money? Mm. I mean, yeah, there's, <laughs> there's so many other ways you could earn yeah. far more money, you know, far yeah. much more money. So, um, but I would I would also say, although I initially was drawn by this um, this scholarship to, to buy me time to write, um, the experience of doing the PhD... Is, is the kind of experience you just cannot get anywhere else mm. in society in general, mm-hmm. you know? This very um, intense life of the mind and being among people who are obsessed by, you know, reading poetry so closely that yeah. you're, you're stripping the units down, you know, line by line, mm-hmm. syntax, you're unpicking this at a very kind of nerdy level. Mm-hmm. Um, does that does that not kind of ruin the poem for you sometimes? Some people say that they think that, but it doesn't for me. Mm. I I've, I like I, I did a I did an essay as part of my um, MA, uh, which was based around my practice and also by about Karen Sidi's poem, "The Road In Is Not the Same Road Out," mm-hmm. and I looked at it and I looked at the way that that had been uh, published in three different places, including 
an anthology by Blood Axe. And I was got, you know, and just looking and mm-hmm. going, changing words and just a couple of words here, there and everywhere. And then I discovered that she was, you know, I mean, that 4,000 words basically around one poem and how that influenced my practice. Mm-hmm. And so then, <laughs> then she brought a new collection out, which she called The Road In Is Not the same as the road out and uh, mm-hmm. I might be misquoting the title of the poem which is crazy after writing so much about it. <laughs> but um, I, um, I thought well I've got to get hold of that book now because the title poem is the poem I've been talking about and yep. I want to see if it's changed I want to see if it's changed I ordered a copy online and, um, and then I got sent it from America and it was a proof copy and it said you know you know, obviously, all the blurb on the back from the publishers saying, you know, from Farrow and Strauss saying, mm-hmm. please don't quote any of this, please get the correct thing. And I thought, well, how am I going to know if this is the correct one? Mm-hmm. Um, if this is made, any, if any changes are correct or not from the other thing? And I thought, well, actually, that's quite interesting. There were no changes. And then they sent me, they kindly sent me a copy because I said I was really interested. Mm-hmm. And I was fascinated to find there was an extra comma in there after a word. Oh, dear. <laughs> you see, fascinated. You've got to be nerdy, haven't you, really, yeah. to do that? Yeah. So, yeah. I think, especially for poetry, you can probably get away with that in longer fiction, but, any kind of little mistakes or something. But poetry, you can't. Well, really yeah, I, th- I think you can't. I do believe yeah. that. I think you've got to really look at it and you've got mm-hmm. to be precise about it. If you've put anything, a space, a mm. capital letter. Yeah. Well, because if you if you do exactly if you do that, um, and I've seen a lot of the poems that I've read, the the poem I read of yours, and there, a lot of it is a visual thing where you know yeah. if there's a spa- extra space in there, um, it's for a reason. Yeah. 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 That's 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 kind of the basis around the subject, the the topic that I want to look at. It's mm-hmm. about um, the un, unspoken non-verbalised kind of punctuation and space within yeah. poetry and how that inflects on the reader okay. and, um, sort of you know, broadly around some of the subjects that, some of the topic that Amy looks at in hers but it's about you know the performance of the page, I can't remember mm-hmm. what you called it, you got a specific title you came across it didn't yeah, you? Yeah, um, the, the page is a stage, the page is uh, a stage yeah, yeah the performing page mm-hmm. the page is a performance space so like yeah. you say it's it's a very visual arena mm-hmm. um, with language performing in various ways for the eye mm-hmm. but then also for the ear when you hear it mm. yeah so would you read it differently if it was positioned differently on the page yes it's very much um, the test in fact for the the use of slashes or space or breaking the line, um, it's all determined by the vocal performance of the oh, work. Right. Okay. So that that's the kind of road test that you keep, and, and that's a big part of my my process. I don't know if it is Roberts, but to keep recording and recording and recording mm-hmm. the same poem, you know, with the slightest of um, <laughs> differences or variations in um, pause length or. Um, yeah. Or, or, or word uh, type, you know, you might mm-hmm. use a a dactyl instead of a, an <laughs> I am or something. I have you know, it's clue what you're even <laughs> about. But yeah, it is important. I mean, I'm, I haven't, I'm not as far down my pursuit of this topic as Amy's mm. because, um, you know, if I was too far down down the down the road, they wouldn't want me to start studying it. Mm-hmm. You know, the idea is you've got three years if you're going to do a PhD in the first year they say you know you're reading and working out mm-hmm. exactly what it is you're going to do so if you come with all your ideas formulated at the beginning then what's the point what is the point yeah um, so um, but but for me you know I, as I said before I've been, I've been an actor for a long time I was a radio actor for mm-hmm. for a long while I did a lot of work with the BBC and you sort of 
you see from looking at scripts how how they are trying to get you in a short period of time to know as an actor mm-hmm. how to read what they've put on the page. Yeah. And when some scripts fail is is because they haven't they haven't really got to that level of understanding how to make it really obvious what it is they mm-hmm. want. Mm-hmm. But you've also got a director or a producer, you know, in between you and the page helping you work that out. Plus so, you've got you've got some wiggle room for interpretation on your own because you're an actor. Yeah. But as a poet with the reader you have to make that choice how much interpretation do you want the reader to have mm-hmm. how much do you want to completely infer by how it's on the page what intention you have behind the space or the, the pace and mm-hmm. the meter and everything and it's not just the words mm-hmm. fucking hell it's not just the words it's yeah. got to be everything see and that's uh, as a, someone who knows two things about poetry jack and shit <laughs> I uh, I I always like performance better than reading it myself. Um, and I don't know why... Well, it's because I, I don't trust myself to interpret it properly, I think. Um, even when you've get, been given these visual kind of clues, uh, I don't even feel like I'm reading it right half the time. And in fact, last time when I in, uh, interviewed Andrew McMillan, I, he asked me which poem I wanted to read, which was quite nice. And I said, oh, I want you to read this certain one because I thought it was quite funny. Like when I read it, I thought it was hilarious. And then when he read it, I was like, oh, it's not. <laughs> so I, it's, I mean, I, I think performance, you can get a lot more out of it personally. I think in anything, you've got to be, you've, you know, as a writer, performer or whatever, you've mm-hmm. got to be accepting of the fact that people might not get it or, mm-hmm. you know, but if you can, I mean, if you can really work very hard at what you're doing to give that openness mm-hmm. to it, that's as a choice, mm-hmm. then that's great. Yeah. Yeah, I think poetry and performance, um, it's so different because you're, you're being confronted by your body and somebody's voice and their entire... Um, you know, performing poetry is all about breath um, and controlling um, the breath and the music, the, the pitch. Mm-hmm. And pitch is something I'm really interested in. You know, the notes that we use um, as when we speak, uh, the notes that we overhear people use. And, and it's a, you know, good performers are aware of the musicality of their performance and their voice and the control that you can have over people by using your voice in, in mm. certain ways. Mm-hmm. And it kind of acts as a signature as well, doesn't it? Because certain poets can, you can tell who's performing just by the way they perform. Yeah. Do you think, um, no? Yeah, you don't think, I think so? I think, I think well, you, well, you, hopefully you can, you can tell their voice, but they, you know, some people might have a way of doing things that connects with you. Mm. But I find if what frustrates me is when there are certain types of performers of their own work who have a signature way of doing everything. Right. Um, so it's a, it's an act. Then so, well, so that everything that you hear begins to sound the same. It's, it's a the bit same like, note. You know, yeah. Mm-hmm. I used to listen to a band called the Lemonheads in the eighties. Who, who, who do you think you're talking to? You know, <laughs> the biggest Lemonheads fan who ever. You lived. know, but they they, <laughs> they don't. Two old men talking <laughs> about music. They don't sound. Each song doesn't sound very much different, does it? Because, no. Because that's that that's was, what I mean. That yeah. was the idea. That yeah. was the idea. Of the eighties. You know, you have to you have to picture pitch yourself, and people have to understand who you are. As a musician, but mm-hmm. for me as a poet, I don't want people to hear one and go, 
oh, I've, I've heard another one, I'd like to hear another one mm-hmm. that sounds the same as that mm-hmm. in pitch and tone. Mm, that's the kind of poetry vending machine then, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. But then again, if you're not... Because a lot of... Like, poetry isn't acting. No. And you're always going to sound like yourself in some yes. way. Yes. So it's okay to sound like yourself, but if you if everything you do has the same rhythm and you're mm-hmm. always going to do this, and yeah. oh, you know, I'm exaggerating, obviously. Mm-hmm. But then if you always read like that... Yeah. Dull, isn't it dull? Yeah. I find it dull. Mm. I find it really dull. In I think the same if you, way if that I, if you don't yeah. give enough emphasis, so if you don't work at, you know, if you don't think of it as part of who you are as a writer and you agree to go and read mm-hmm. somewhere and you haven't thought about it, why not? Why don't you think about it? Yeah. You know, why are you there? Because people will turn off. Yeah, definitely. If you don't give it some thought. Um, do you guys want to both talk a bit about your magazines? We could yeah. do that, couldn't we? Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, this, 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 is, this is intended to be kind of the, the lit mag episode, the lit mag episode. which is why you both are on the podcast together. Yeah. yeah. Um, besides the fact that Amy suggested you guys come on together, which I think was a good suggestion, that despite was... the fact your voices are nothing alike and it's really doing my head <laughs> <Wow>. in sound-wise. <laughs> but if they were exactly the same, we'd sound like we were the same person speaking, so That's that, right. that would be odd too. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, What's bare fiction then? Bare fiction. So um, it's strange you were saying before we started downstairs that this is your project mm-hmm. for MMU with yep. the snappy title of project. Yep. Well, bare fiction was my idea that I'd been thinking about before I applied for my MA here mm-hmm. and um, was going to be my transmission project. They've dropped that word, haven't they? Yes. So, uh, it was going to be my transmission project. And. Um, and Adam and when I applied and, and, and rang up and, and had my phone interview, thought it was a great idea. I'll tell you more about it, obviously, in a minute. Uh, but when he said, yes, you've got a place, I thought, great, oh, I've got two months before I start. And I've stopped looking for work as an actor and I've... Fuck it, I'm going to start it now. So I got mm-hmm. on with it and just, just did it straight away and, and launched the magazine because I realised that I would have to wait until my third year to... Do you know why you did that? On. Uh, yeah. Sorry. But I've done. I did exactly the same thing, and it's because we're over forty. Maybe. And I think the novelty of going back to university has. It certainly was for me. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt no, you, but go, I was like, go, go. "You're you're clear. You're you're yeah. saying exactly the same words I did when I started. I was like, hey. I can't wait to fucking start. I, I mean, this is, I'm going to sit here for six months, wait for the start of year. Mm. Fuck that. I'm not doing that. I'm going to yeah. start. So I mean, don't, I've started. Don't wait. Don't wait. Don't no. Wait. But that's the thing. That's the thing. That goes back to the PhD thing. If you're passionate about something, you've got to get on and do it. God, it's the only reason to be. Involved in doing a lit lit magazine is to be yep. passionate about it. Yeah. Or what you're doing here, you know, nobody's paying me to do it. I don't make no. any money from it. But I really, really love doing it. So I started that off and I ran a Kickstarter and got um, just under £2,000 to start the magazine off and publish the first issue. Was lucky enough to get some poems from Dan O'Brien mm-hmm. for the first issue and then Rebecca Goss in, I think, the second issue. People sending nice things to me and saying, we like the sound of what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And then I fully closed all the submissions to being anonymous after that. Oh. Um, so, yeah, I don't ask people. I did at the beginning because, mm-hmm. hell, who knows who I am? Why am I doing this? Who who gives you the right to do that? And, you sort of think, and not only that, but I mean, you know, say what you will, a name sells copies. Yeah, well, it helps. It helped yeah. the idea. You know, I thought, and I'd been speaking to Dan uh, about an essay that I did for my application for the MMU and... He's a playwright as well, so we had that connection with mm-hmm. theatre, and so it was just really interesting. 
and he he's been in a couple of times. But uh, yeah, it's a magazine for poets. It, it, it confused me that there wasn't one at the time that did this. I know um, the, uh, the what's the one the Carcanet do? I can't. Remember. PN Review. PN Review. Yeah. I know they have recently put excerpts of theatre plays in their issue, but I don't know if they did it before. Can't categorically say they didn't, but it's the first time that anyone's sort of consciously said, "No, this magazine is more than poetry. It's more right. than the crossover between poetry and fiction." You know, playwrights and short plays are as important and are a big part of certain people's lives. Hell, mm. there are people I know who are amazing poets who make damn sight more money, not as not much, but they make a damn sight more money with their playwriting than they do mm-hmm. their, their poetry. Yeah, but they wouldn't let go of either. Yeah. And I thought, well, there's got to be a space for them. And people don't buy a lot of full play texts unless maybe you get the promotional ones that people sell at. Well, no, because a lot of times plays aren't interesting to read, though, are they? Well, they can be. Mm, it's, can I, they? I don't yeah. Plays, yeah. Do you? They can be. They can be. But that's why, you know, so this the concept of short plays for me is the same as when uh, people who really want to write just write novels say, mm-hmm. why would I write a short story? Why would you write short stories? Do you write short stories? Bro? No. See, but you've got to write short stories. No, I don't it, like them. Yeah, but why? I, I, I'm a one-trick pony, and a one tr- I don't even have that trick. So it takes too much to come up with the idea, and once you've got the idea, how I don't want Honestly, to short stories... Words. I think the, the main problem with, uh, with short stories is getting it all into down... And I've tried a few times to write a short story, but I can't... I heard someone told me a long time ago that the way to, to write a short story is to start with the cat up a tree and the story is the cat coming down, get the cat out of the tree, mm. uh, which makes no sense to me <laughs> at, at all. And I've read short stories and I go, wow, that's really clever. And it's something that I don't think I could do it's if like, I wanted to. It's like a great play or a great film, in my opinion. Yeah. You, you know, you've, you've got to bring the viewer, the reader in, in. Mm-hmm. Into the middle of it. Yep. If you're, but it's, it's the same with the novel, though. You're supposed to. That's it's the same with the novel. It's just longer. Well, it seems like people are more forgiving with novels. Mm-hmm. They they allow people, you know, two chapters of explanation. Or really, you know, mm-hmm. there are a lot of novels out there that are like that. Aren't yeah. Yes. I don't read them. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, so I felt that it needed. I needed to do that, and I wanted to put poetry, fiction, and theatre together and have short mm-hmm. plays in there. And so the idea of people, lots of people are doing scratch nights with short plays, mm-hmm. and I thought, well, wouldn't it be great that people would find out about new playwrights in a different way sometimes than just you know if they don't if you don't get to a local event where there's mm-hmm. these things happening, then it's the same as poets or yeah. short story writers. You're not gonna f- you, you find out about people in a different way. But so. without until you get to like a monologue or something in a play, isn't it just reading stage directions and you know short bits of dialogue? Well, then there that that comes into the editorial pick of things that come in. Mm. So so but you okay so yeah. if you're if you're picking a screenplay or sorry a play, it. You don't care if that would be good on the stage at all because it's going to be on the page. No, I you, do. You need to I be do, readable. I do, I do care, but it needs okay. to be readable as well. Yeah. Interesting. Because so, I, yeah. I, I thought the whole point of a, like a screenplay or a play is that it's just it's down to the director and the actors yeah, but to make gonna, it work. If you're going to buy a magazine that you want to read mm. and there's you know 20% of it or 25% of it that's going to be something that you feel is not worth it then maybe mm-hmm. you're not going to buy it yeah and that's what I mean Like so, you might, so I think it's interesting I think that's probably why you don't see too many mm. uh, publications that 
with plays in them. Yeah, it's easy to get. I get I get sort of around about two hundred sent into me each Gosh. time. If the play, just yeah, because the there's probably nowhere else to, to send them, is there? Is not many places. Yeah, now. and um, and uh, yeah, and I started out thinking I would put four in every issue, and mm-hmm. sometimes I've gone nope. Yeah, no, I can't fit. Four. I can't take four. They're not. They're not good enough. Mm. And it's not that. I don't necessarily think that the piece is, would work on the stage, but I think it's got to work in both ways for me. I've got to be able to envisage how it would work on the stage, and also mm-hmm. how well it works in the on the on the page in the magazine. Yeah. You know, it comes back to what we were talking about before about poetry on the page, and on the yeah. it's, it's you know it's, it's it's a different medium. You know, you're not going to a theatre to watch that short piece of theatre; you're mm-hmm. reading it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Um, what's the new Welsh review about, obviously, poetry and short stories? Yeah, and uh, creative non-fiction. A lot mm. of, we have a, a lot of strong creative non-fiction. That seems to be, like, the in thing. If I just some, say would have, some would say so, <laughs> indeed, yes. Um, I think it's a much uh, 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 a sort of larger movement in North America mm. uh, and Australia. Um, but here, it's sort of just, I think, emerging mm-hmm. into the, the daylight. and. Mm-hmm. Um, so what's your role with the, the magazine? Uh, I am the poetry editor, and um, the poetry is filtered through Gwen Davis, who's mm-hmm. the general editor, and I get the shortlist. Uh, and from the shortlist, um, we jointly pick... Uh, we have nine pages dedicated to poetry in, mm-hmm. in each issue, and the poetry is the only section of the magazine which is open too old to submit to um the rest of the magazine is generally commissioned oh right okay so and we're also one of the very few magazines who pay they pay i got paid yesterday it was amazing i got paid for a poem yeah even for people who submit like everybody gets paid no okay just the commissions no no no. the the poets whose work ends up in the magazine get paid 28 pounds each okay so that's, you know, commissions or submissions? Commissions, uh, whatever ends up in the magazine, right. they will be paid. Brilliant. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. What I, a concept. I can't do that. But then I'm not affiliated to a university. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That helps. That helps. You know. Yeah. You also mm. curate an award. Yeah. So this is the third year running now of the Bear Fiction Prize, which has separate categories for poetry, flash fiction and short story. Mm-hmm. So this year I've got Helen Mort, who's judging the poetry, David Gaffney, flash fiction, and Caution Newland, who's mm-hmm. judging the short story competition. And uh, yeah, that is the thing that 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 buoys the the finances of the magazine, so that I can afford to print it really. Because the right. the subscriptions, although they're growing and they're doing really well, and I sold that. I've got two copies of the magazine left, and it's only I've only had the copy for issues for like six weeks. Yeah, um, you know, so it's selling out, which is great. That's very good. Um, yeah, and uh, you know, it's a small print run. Most mm-hmm. most time, I mean, it's three hundred copies, but yeah. so, but I th- they, they sell out of those. But the, it's the it's the competition that that buoys the finances and, and enables me to keep doing it, yeah. and to do other things like publish uh, a few books and so on. So yeah, that's the other thing I was gonna, just going to yeah. ask you about. You've uh, pu- just published a second, collection of yeah. poetry. And is no, this is the yeah. second one. The second one. So this I ran a competition. Yeah, it's called The Knowledge Weapon. Again, it's, it's very pretty. Annette Seabohm, who's mm. German, um, and she... Not in, British? She's not British. She's, she, it's in English. <laughs> sorry, the only reason I say that yeah. is because the bloody EU referendum is <laughs> all in my head. I'm oh, going, God, that's, that's a whole other podcast. I know. Oh, man, you can't vote, can you? Oh, fucking A, I can. Yeah. I'm going to vote the shit out of this 
Like, yeah, I'm a citizen. Oh, right. Hey, mm. well Good stuff. Okay. Yeah. There is an e-referendum question on this. Oh, okay. <laughs> Just because I can't think of little else. Why did I interrupt you? I'm sorry, Robert. I don't know. Back to Annetta and yes. a very amazing collection mm. called The Knowledge Weapon. Yeah, so I ran a competition. I, I was That didn't earn me money. I ran a competition, the debut poetry collection competition, trying to find a second book to publish. The first one by Zelda Chapel I chose, and I just sort of commissioned her and said, would you like to put a collection together? Um, and I thought it'd be really interesting to keep publishing debut authors who had not had a collection yet. Fantastic. And so I... Would you do novels? I, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's all time. Yeah, yeah no, <laughs> I'm just schmooze. No, it's, I mean, yeah. absolutely, though. But it is, yeah. it is a thing, you know. But it's all about time and taking time. So moving slowly into mm-hmm. short story collections and then maybe novels and who knows, maybe plays. But they're you sell even worse than novels and poetry <laughs> but uh, you know one thing at a time so yeah. I, I and I'd met Andrew McMillan a few times before he won everything in the world yeah and, um, and I met the him weird a few thing times. about him is that he's just as nice now yeah he's great I think I might have already said that you have yeah. that whether you said it on on microphone or not I don't know I think he I might is. have said no, yeah. he's love for Andrew is and, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I live, clear it's clear I live in Shrewsbury and he, he, he he'd come to Shrewsbury a few times to read and he'd hear me read and we'd had a few Conversations over various bottles of wine, and I just said, "Look, I'd really like this because uh, I know that you—you know—you've—he's got a couple of pamphlets out at the time." And I said, "I hear that you've got—you've got, you've got a, yeah, can't open that bottle." Sorry, Sorry. oh, is it, is, it, yeah. is it putting you off? No, just open the bottle. I'm trying. Yeah, very um, difficult. Yeah, it's IPA. Everybody, we've got some India Pale Ale. And I didn't bring a bottle. No, opener. no bottle opener. Well prepared. Oh, this is this is the worst. I've thrown you off. Yeah, poor Annette and her collection. It's doomed to fail. Now. It isn't. It's amazing. It, no, it's amazing. And Andrew was was great and gracious, and he said he'd love to judge the competition for me. And then then you know, and then he was shortlisted for the forward, and then he won the old Ver, and then he's won yeah. five million things since. Yeah, and then so yeah, it's brilliant. Award. But it's, so yeah. that's that's lovely. I mean, I didn't know that. I just knew he was a, a great guy, and I mm. thought he had a good eye for for what might work. And yeah. And he's picked an amazing thing. He picked six people. Out. I think we had 160-something entries mm-hmm. who sent in about 20 poems each, and he picked six to then send a full collection. And this one, as he says on the back, you know, it's just so fully formed and ready to go. Yeah. Mm. Uh, I am going to ask this question. Do you think the vote that's happening tomorrow is going to hurt you in the arts biz? I think, oh, I think it's politics, isn't it? Everything yeah. hurts people in creative, on the arts industries, in or out, it will hurt us. But I think, uh, I, I, you know, I, I think the opportunities for the arts, uh, if we were just being specific about the arts rather than what person's life in, in whole. Well, you can do both. Uh, well, I th- well, for both, I think. I, I think with, better, with your life, it, it is both, isn't it? Yeah, well, it is. But, yeah, so it's, it's, definitely, it's definitely better in because... Yeah. You know, I mean, there are some very simple facts about arts and the amount of money that that comes back into this country mm-hmm. for arts, and you know, but the government in this country isn't really very good at understanding how useful the money that comes into the arts is in this yeah. country because I think it's like ten pounds for every one pound that is spent on the arts. Yeah, comes back. I, I'm so it's kind of crazy. I'm terrified of tomorrow. But everything's terrifying about the potential for. Change, but I think what's more terrifying is a sort of a, a, a right-wing, angry, and violent attitude mm-hmm. towards 
that some people have towards wishing to have a, a reversal of how we've progressed as a nation. Mm-hmm. I know, how it's incredible. As a, as, a, as, a, you know, as, a, as a European sort of state, I suppose you can call yeah. it. Yeah. That, that's what's frightening. I am constantly amazed, and this happens in every country, that when you put it through a strong austerity program and piss off the people at the bottom and then surprised that they go running into the arms of the far right. Like, it, it happens every time. Mm. Um, yeah. and I, I don't know, I'm such a I'm, cynic. I'm sure Mel Gibson would be in a film that had a conspiracy <laughs> theory about the whole reason why <laughs> yeah. they do this. Oh, he would definitely be in you a far-right film. But, you know, the, the, whole, the whole concept of government and imagining the, you know, that there are people in government who, who want to be in or out yeah. had no idea that this would be the way that this is. No, yeah, I, I think everyone's surprised. How flawed and fractious, yeah. you know, things yeah. are. I think, I think to imagine that those politicians didn't know that it was going to mm-hmm. be fractious and frustrating and. Do you know what? That's the one time I'm, I'm kind of don't blame them because I didn't think, you know, you kind of you get into, a, I don't know if you get into a nice little bubble where you just think, you know, we're better than that, and then you have to be reminded every now and again that we're not. I think and mm, people aren't in general people are selfish essentially yeah, yeah. The predominantly people are selfish you know I mean I, I'd be lying if I said that there weren't elements of my life that I'm just being selfish but yeah. you know like, yeah you I'd know. like to register my disagreement my fundamental disagreement with Robert mm-hmm. that I, I sincerely believe that people are not fundamentally selfish mm. yeah unfortunately a lot of people are well I disagree good yeah, that is good. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. glad there's people like you in the world. There needs to yeah, be more. Yeah, yeah, but there are, there frankly. are you know. Mm-hmm. So there are people. Yeah, it, it's it's endemic in the system, though, isn't it? I mean, it's a we live in a in a system and a society based on capitalism, which mm-hmm. encourages us to accept as a kind of natural fact um, this idea of a kind of selfish gene, mm. or the fact that that the sort of capitalist endeavor mm-hmm. is written in our in our DNA somehow, well, I mean, but it's just yeah. who we are. Yeah. You know? Well, it's sort of rewritten by politics into us, yeah. isn't it? And, and Margaret Thatcher, like the death yeah. of the community, like, honest, like why she, she was very open in saying, and, it's, and it's the most obvious thing in the world to but say. But this is, this is propaganda, this is cultural. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the look what we have, look what yeah. you can't have, yeah. oh look, you could have had it, but now we're not going to let you have it, this austerity thing, and then we're going to take all these things away from you. Yeah. But there are others of us that, that still have it, and, oh, by the way, it's those people over there. It's their fault. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. But we, I refuse. You know, the thing that upsets me is that um, wonderful people like yourselves accept being accept. being told that we are all fundamentally selfish. And I don't accept being told that. I just know that there are people that are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but so I, I, really, I feel strongly that we shouldn't... I don't like take it. Take that on. You know, we shouldn't actually believe that as a as a. Well, you can't ignore. You can't ignore something that's. I feel you can't ignore something that appears to be happening in front of you, mm. um, and part of changing that is accepting that those people are fundamentally flawed in that way, and that they need guidance to change. Yeah. I think they need money. No, well, that's <laughs> that's what capitalism would 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 would, would suggest that you, you need. Yeah. yeah, they need a comfortable life. I think. I I think whenever. You, but they, it, 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 all this running to the far right happens every time after mm. any kind of austerity and people find themselves in Greece in the skids mm. you know exactly Greece is a perfect example mm. um, as soon as some people I think people have a certain amount of tolerance for poverty and everyone has a different tolerance 
And I think a lot of people are very tolerant, and it's the ones that have, have been absolutely stomped on that are the ones that are the most likely. And I, I think that it's it, something like that has to happen. It's, it's, I don't think people are, you know, you know, born selfish or, you know, yeah. I, I think there has to be uh, something that happens in there. I think it's sort of indoctrinated into you, isn't it? Yeah. See, I'm not it's even sure about that. It's cultural propaganda. Yeah. I mean, this is, the, this is the system we live in. Mm. But I, do, I still think that if people have a fairly comfortable life, they are less inclined to be hateful. Well, the world is built on capitalism, isn't it? Mm. And, uh, yeah. Well, parts of the world. The, 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 the world that we see the through the media. Yeah. The world that we see through the media and what the media wants to show us is built on capitalism. Yeah. The parts of the world we don't see are the parts that are suffering. Yeah, as, as a, a result. As a of direct result. Yeah. 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 So all we need is a new system. That Revolution. fixes everything. Revolution. Yeah. I mean, there are bad... See, you're, yeah, you're like me. You, know. <laughs> you sound like me. There are, there, there are bad... <laughs> every decision that you can make politically there is going to be, you know, by somebody else who's decided and come up with a rule yeah. that you have, to, you have to vote on. Yeah. That's bad and good on either side, isn't it? Yeah. So. I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm always worried about anything that's left up to mm. the people. Yeah. You know, I, I think I watched... Um, Something with and uh, to, to take you know the word uh, Jason Manford, uh, but he said something. He said you know that's what we elect officials for to make those decisions for us, and which sounds ridiculous. But when you think about it, you're like, well, it's better that than you know letting the general pop. I, I'm I'm staggered that this the the uh, year referendum vote is so close. And but the government scary. still has to. Whatever happens in the vote mm. tomorrow, the gov- well tomorrow, I did the vote of the podcast will have gone out and we'll mm-hmm. all have, we'll be crying into our boots or or celebrating still, madly. Or, or still, I crying, wouldn't even be celebrating. Or you still crying into exactly. our boots. Exactly, celebrating. About, Who knows? Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, it, it, you know, the government still has to agree to put it into power. Yeah. And if the majority of the MPs in the House of Parliament decide they don't like the vote, yeah, then that's going to be a difficult thing to push the law through to change our. Membership of the EU. Well, <laughs> so it's, a diff- oh, it's going to be difficult. You know, so, so whatever happens, if if they decide, God, I hope they don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Please, no. Um, if they decide that we have to leave, then oh no, I can't talk anymore. I can't either. It's too scary. It's horrible. Let's get back to words. Yeah, I was going to finish it on that just because I'm a depressing. Oh really? <laughs> world ending. The whole podcast is about. Let's the talk end of the about world. the niceties of almond slices. Um, yes. Can I ask you a question about you the may. podcast? Of course um, you can. The end of all things, this is from the Bible, right? No. The end of all things is now. Yeah, well, yeah, sort of, but not, you know, it, it, yes. <laughs> <laughs> sort of, yes, no. Yeah, yes. yeah, it, it is, but it has nothing to do with the Bible. No, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What does it have to do with? It just has to do with my obsession with the the, the, the our impending apocalypse okay. that that will happen basically uh-huh. uh, it's just a matter of when okay. uh, well not apocalypse but definitely the end I was going to say and you say it's nothing to do with the Bible yeah, well yeah I guess it is <laughs> maybe it is yeah <laughs> it says the atheist <laughs> me well yeah but yeah. Christianity just I think certainly for oh it's just a rule book isn't it for my life it's a, well it's another kind of mm. ideology like capitalism mm. which um, mm-hmm. Whether you're brought up um, mm-hmm. in, in, in a kind of Christian context or Catholic context, as I was, or not, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's one of those sort of myths that structures our sense of 
perception mm-hmm. yeah. of the uh, world. And, and I think it's just another lever for control. I, I, yeah. It's just basically the only reason Christianity exists is because the priests were the ones with the books. These are the stories. These yeah. are the things is, that you yeah. will be told, and this is what happened, and this is what is good. Is I'm just suggesting. Yeah, I, my suggestion is that because the printing press didn't exist, mm-hmm. people had to just took the word of their priest. Yeah, because um, I mean, predominantly people couldn't read. No, mm. no one could. Uh, well, some well, people you, could, you're but they in couldn't a very get powerful books. position, aren't you? If you're yeah. if you're the authority in the um, yeah. in yeah, the community. Yeah, and that you probably you're probably the priest yourself in that case. Yeah, but um. And yeah, the, and, the, and predominantly the only things that were written down were liturgical texts. And mm-hmm. This takes us back to poetry, you know, the oral um, yeah. origins of poetry and mm. the, the power of a preacher who uses their voice as a, a tool for basically crowd control. Yeah. Um, and it takes us back to my idea for the, my PhD also because, of course, because when everything was, when we're going back to Latin, I mean, obviously there were other languages before that, but the first sort of written language, Latin. And there was no punctuation, there was no spaces, mm-hmm. there was nothing between any of the words. Um, and part of that, part of the reason they didn't want to change that is because it was harder for people to figure out how to read it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, mm. so, yeah. so there, there was... An, you mean it was all, easier for people to... No, it was harder for people to figure out how to read Latin texts before, you know, so it was very difficult. Without they, punctuation. Without punctuation. Yeah, yeah. It was very difficult. And so it was only people who had the time or the money to spend on tutors yeah. or whatever to, to teach them how to do that. Mm. And so this is why, so the oral tradition, mm. as you say, So how did, how did poetry come into that with the priests? Or well, the, the well, because poetry ha- has um, its roots in orality, mm-hmm. in, in spokenness. Mm. Um, it's, it's a primitive, uh, in, its, in its kind of primitive roots, say, um, in, in kind of, pre-ancient societies it, it, it was um, a kind of incantatory form of um, I mean Ted Hughes who I'm reading at the moment talks mm-hmm. about the role of the shaman who goes to bring um, visions back to the community and to um, connect the community with this other world, this spirit world um, and that's a very unfashionable mm-hmm. idea now, but um, mm. but but this this uh, speaker who would who would involve the community in the act of um, vocal performance um, of language. Um, so it's convincing them using yeah. using poetry, making yeah. it poetic. Well, it's 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 persuasion. Mm-hmm. Um, I I feel sort of my instinct is that it's it's not um, of of the same kind of um, control as, as oh, so governmental control. No, no, as a as a priest or no. Um, no, I think you're probably right. But it was it was to bind a community together. Mm, yeah. um, and then so it was, it was for good. Yeah. 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 And and for you know and, and let's go back to those days. And, and, and because <laughs> you know and because that, that you know. That's the way you could hear stories, you know. Yeah. So yeah. people would tell long, you know, long tales, narrative, mm-hmm. poetic tales about myths, and myths, yeah, so on, and, and that's how people had an enjoyment of, yeah. of sharing that because because they couldn't read because Latin was very difficult to read, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and it took hundreds of years for them to develop 
these different ideas of mm-hmm. punctuation coming from mm. Greek and, and all sorts, you know. I mean, Greek again, that was difficult, ancient Greek, difficult to read. Mm-hmm. Mm. Do you think, I, was gonna, I wasn't sure I was going to ask you this or not, Amy, mm-hmm. do you think you ask a lot of your readers of your poetry? Do you think I ask a lot? Yeah, I think, it's, I think you need to bring your A game, your A brain to read your stuff. That's good, though, isn't it? It is. I think so. Do you think it's too much? I don't think so. I I wouldn't say it's inaccessible by any stretch, but I think you need to... And I think just from this discussion Mm. now, because you're both quite, you know, deep-thinking people, really, and you're, you know, with the... Especially stuff you're doing now, the Oedipus stuff, or Oedipa, people have to have a certain level of knowledge before they kind of get your poetry. Is that unfair? Mm. I think... My my aim with, with the Oedipus stuff was not not to speak to a, an educated audience, mm-hmm. but for it to be readable for someone who only re- really had the vaguest of mm-hmm. senses of the original myth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And many people have that through Freud mm-hmm. um, or through other kind of um, media. Um, it... It's 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 the I you know in the book it's the idea of clashing two notes against each other. Mm-hmm. So you've got the contemporary world and you've got the ancient myth. Mm-hmm. I, um, think, I think it's I mean I think it's readable regardless of whether you have definitely it's readable. But, but, but it, to get it, the deeper meaning of but, but it, what you're trying to put yeah, across, but it, it's a bit like you know, am I going to watch Transformers or am I going to watch <laughs> you know or, or am I going to watch a Peter Greenaway film? Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 yeah. You know, well, yeah, that's well. I mean, Peter Greenaway, I think, is more, far more obtuse yeah. than it's perhaps not good, a yeah. good, a good analogy for Amy's work. But you know, you know, am I going to invest my time mm-hmm. in appreciating something? Yes. Or am I going to insist that it washes over me and tells me everything without me having to think? Mm-hmm. And there are different times when I might want different things. Hell, I'll watch the Transformers films, but I like Fuck to I watch. Wouldn't. You know, <laughs> you know, because because sometimes I snob. I, yeah, I work. I work too well, much. I, okay, there's snobism, and then there's the Transformers movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's got that noise. I'll, I'll, that noise, I'll that, watch Die that, Hard. That big noise in the end. I love that deep resonant noise. I think it's just because of that. But there's these. Th- there are times, you know, you if you work if you're working hard or you you, you know and you, and you want to do something and you want to involve yourself yep. in something and especially if like me you're working with words a lot, then sometimes just that release of something trite is great. But I don't enjoy that in what I read, so no. that's why I really enjoyed Amy's work. That's why, yep. um, you know, from the blind submissions, I've put Amy's work in twice in the magazine, mm. um, and and why her collection that she's got for the PhD that I've been privileged to read, yep. I think is it is accessible. But yeah, you, you do have to. You got to bring your A game. You've got to bring, bring yourself to it. Yeah, I think ideally, what I'm aiming for with my work is for it to be accessible. On that level, mm-hmm. uh, the immediate level, yeah, and then yeah, for people with a little bit more knowledge, there's more, there's there's more. more. appreciate it more, and then for people with deeper knowledge, in it, in layers, there's that it levels. Goes like it should that. be layers. Yeah. That's what people. Well, I, th- I think that's so. I think it's difficult to difficult. to generalize. Actually, mm. I think I can only speak. That's my problem. I'm a generalist. Yeah. Generalist? Is that a word? <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I, I can. <laughs> I can imagine. Moron, I, think I can imagine word. if you could find yeah. a supervisor somewhere that liked the idea of you doing a PhD about limericks. If mm-hmm. you had enough to write about, yeah, you know, you could. Really? 
you know, if you can do a PhD on limericks. I don't know. I'm just saying, oh, if there was, I, there's some... hope for me. <laughs> but you'd have to. That sounds quite fun, actually. Yeah. yeah. Hell, there you go. There's a top topic for somebody else. Yeah. I don't know. But you know, it, it, it is about that. It's, I think it's surely it's about how how the work is, reflects on you and how you develop your work and what you're building on. Yeah. Rather than saying that the end product of it needs to be massively academic. Right. Necessarily. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? I think I get it. Yeah. I'm, I have one last question, and it's, it's just a silly one, because I'm a silly person. I have got a copy of your Bear Fiction, March 2015. Oh, yeah. That was given to me by Amy. Oh, and I noticed when I was going share. through, she did this. Oh, she put a... Do you remember why you folded the page down? Yeah, I love that story that's, by Aki Schultz. Yeah, that's wonderful. Aki won the flash fiction competition. It's wonderful. And it count mm. the words, hold your breath. It's a wonderful story. People can yeah. read it on the website, on barefictionmagazine.com. Can they? It is there. But well, yeah, that one, that's a great story. It is brilliant. Mm. Aki Schultz. Yeah. She, he, she? She. She has a big fan. She's, Absolutely. She's brilliant. Brilliant yeah. writer. Great. Um, that's all I need. Uh, thank you very much, guys. Thank you, Rob. Thank you, Rob. Thank you, everybody, for listening, if you're still here at the end. Probably not. No. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers. Um, I think my favorite bit of that whole thing was uh, Amy's, the uh, Macaulay, Amy Macaulay idea that the page is a stage that, um, you know, it's not just reading uh, the poetry the poetry reading poetry that matters it's how it's organized on the stage and it on the stage on the page and um you can do all kinds of interesting see i'm trying to to talk about this intelligently she talked about it a lot more intelligently and um i sat there and listened and drank her tequila drink that she brought us i'm surprised that i stayed so lucid really considering we were drinking uh, tequila and ginger beer um, she brought it in, in a thermos and I tell you what if you are a guest on this podcast and you want to be uh, friends with me bring booze uh, I usually pay for the drinks um, but if you want to bring your own homemade concoctions I'm on board I don't even care what it is the more European and the less English the better frankly um yeah, can you tell I'm still bitter? I, was, I promised myself I was going to talk about it on this part of the podcast, but I can hear something. That my, my ears are really shitty. I don't know if I've ever mentioned this on the podcast before. I'm half deaf, so I can't believe that if I can make the podcast remotely listenable. But I can hear so much more with the headphones on uh, coming through the microphone. Um, so sometimes I just like to sit and listen. See, like I wouldn't have heard that car screech just then this is still Salford and I have to say it seems a lot more civilized than Pomona this bit the park is well mowed the trees are nice public art not the greatest art but you know beggars can't be choosers um, I'm off to Wimbledon this weekend uh, why did I even say that who cares it must sound like the most middle-class thing in the world. How can you go to Wimbledon when the world's going to hell? Well, I got these tickets a long time ago, didn't I? I tell you what, I'm gonna go, when I go to London for Wimbledon, I'm going to go to Lambeth and kiss every single one of you on the mouth. 70% you voted remain. Uh, I take, did take the piss out of London, but I tell you what, Lambeth, that is like my favorite place in the country right now. Um, you're lovely people. 
and uh, you should be the people that are running this country instead of the dickheads that are. Uh, okay, that's all I'm going to talk about. This has gone on long enough. The next podcast, I, know, I say this every time, the next podcast will be Jen Ashworth. Genuinely, the next podcast will be Jen Ashworth because her book comes out in July and it has to be the next one. So hopefully we haven't all been killed by then. Uh, maybe it'll be all right. <laughs> maybe those old people know better than we do. Maybe this uh, massive, horrible depression that we're in at the moment uh, will pass and they'll turn out to be right. But I highly fucking doubt it. Anyway, here's some poetry. Bye. It doesn't matter if I'm a clown. If you need me to explain, then let me tell you simply that my brain doesn't work in the same way you think it should. It has a hinge. Not unlike a piano lid, my teeth, the keys that play Beethoven across a tongue speaking Chopin as a prelude to goodbye. I can dress up sentences with taffeta, twinkling lights to shine some sense of what was that to our discussion today. I can fill your ears with consonants that pop your synapses and play tricks on temples that pray for regularities and 75 beats or less at resting. If you need me to explain, I know that I'm the one who sees the clown is happy when his mouth is the wrong way round a custard pie, upside down, bleeding diamonds into cheeks that rub frowns away beneath a big top, hopping on one leg. I can tell you once, again, but this time boxes are not parcels. This week isn't next. I told you yesterday at dinner you were listening to, who was that, something else, and then we talked with eyes instead of words. Both understood. Our daughter knows. I'm sure she's heard it all before in the way you think. I tell you simply that my brain doesn't work. If you need me to explain, then let me. Through a lens. They turned and looked at me as I stood, half in the doorway, half in the hall, unaware this had been brewing long before the leaves of trust were bagged up in the coal shed. All eyes, speaking louder than a bloody lip, screams lashing out across the room. In silence, we just stood. I looked at him, he at her each one in turn more disbelieving of the scene, broken with, go back upstairs. My gaze fell to the floor. Those words again from him this time, as anger pushed hard through my face and 15 years collapsed with each retraced step, I wondered how to fix the future, which seemed shattered now, worse than her glasses on the floor.
the judge. The tired falls from his eyes, a drooping, a lacklustre, lily-pungent flop, a stuck dream flight, tarmac idle, eight hours shifting sleep self to unself and back self before the drop. Before he unknows day, before his wings shake off the gown weight of eloquence, gavel greased, before calling silently into the blacks of his eyelids.